0: Welcome to The Infrastructure Show. I'm your host, Professor Joseph Schoffer of Northwestern University. The Infrastructure Show is designed to present to listeners the reality of America's infrastructure, its condition, why it is the way it is, and what can be done about it. We gratefully acknowledge contributions to sustain The Infrastructure Show from Dr. Robert Peskin, Dr. Raymond Ellis, and Andrea and Ron DeFeo. Railroads are our most efficient mode for moving freight. The U.S. freight rail system is the envy of the world, but occasionally things can go wrong. When trains get off the tracks, when derailments occur, the outcomes are usually just minor disruptions of freight flows, but occasionally more serious problems arise. To learn about the risks, the causes, and mitigation options for train derailments, we're talking with Dr. Alan Zaremski, who is Professor of Practice and Director of the Rail Engineering and Safety Program at the University of Delaware's Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. Uh, Alan is an expert on railroad track engineering, rail safety, and derailment analysis. He earned his Ph.D. degree at Princeton University. Alan, I am very pleased to talk with you this morning.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: So just, let's start with the easy stuff. What is a derailment?
1: Okay, a derailment in the literal sense is when a wheel leaves the rail. So it can be something as minor as literally the wheel falling off the rail and the train stopping, or uh, something significantly uh, much more severe with um, you know, significant pile ups and a uh, uh, significant amount of damage.
0: How off? How common are derailments?
1: Derailments are rare. Um, derailments. Uh, we we measure derailments in number of derailments per million ton miles. Uh, so basically, we talk in terms of two or three derailments per million ton miles. Uh, so a million ton miles is a, a million. Uh, tons of traffic going, you know, going a mile It's a fairly large number, and so uh, derailments do not occur on a frequent basis at all.
0: So, help me understand the scale of a million ton miles. Uh, how can you? Estimate how many million ton miles we move in the United States in a year.
1: Uh, actually, let me correct that. I, mean, I meant to say a million train miles.
0: Oh, train miles. Okay, that's a little bit easier for me to understand. But s- still, how how does that relate to the train miles that that are are produced uh, annually, or in a month, or some reasonable period of time in in the United States?
1: We talk in terms of trillions of tra- train miles in the United States. So um, a, a million train, train miles is a relatively small number.
0: Okay, so does that say? Well, you describe use the word rare, but it sounds to me like derailments. Maybe they're not that rare. Is that am, am I misunderstanding?
1: Maybe I'm maybe I'm not explaining this correctly. So let me let me take a step back. Okay, uh, a million train miles is as you as you indicated. Uh, uh, a million trains going one mile, or ten thousand trains going ten thousand miles, or a hundred thousand trains, you know, a thousand trains going a thousand miles. It's re- you can think of it as a okay. thousand trains going a thousand miles. That's a million train miles. Um, uh, the 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 number of derailments we have in the United States uh, translates into a. a we we, we 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 have approximately a 1, thousand fifteen hundred derailments a year in the United States with all the traffic we run uh, across the entire country all across two hundred thousand miles of railroad, three hundred sixty five days a year, twenty four hours a day. So the train miles are uh, are are an indication that. Uh, we run a lot of traffic. We run a significant amount of traffic. We run about ten times as much traffic as all of uh, freight traffic, as all of Europe put together. To put that in perspective, uh, so um, the, the number of derailments we have uh, as a result are very small on a relative basis.
0: So I'm guessing, but I'm thinking that the, most of those derailments are minor. And the consequences are mo- minor. Some very small-scale disruptions. Is that is that true?
1: About 60% of all the derailments are uh, what we call uh, yard derailments or non-mainline track derailments. So let me take a step back. What's a derailment you indicated? Well... For a derailment to be reported to the Federal Railway Administration, a reportable derailment is approximately $10,000 worth of track or equipment damage. So it's a very low threshold. Uh, I like to talk about, I I like to use the term a fender bender. Um, A a uh, $10,000 derailment is literally a fender bender. Um, And 60% of all the derailments that we have in the U.S., do not occur on mainline; they're low-speed yard derailments with nominal amount of damage. Uh, the, ne- the number of mainline derailments we have uh, of any significant damage okay, re- represents maybe twenty-five to thirty-five percent of all the major of all the, of all the accidents. So it's a small percentage.
0: Okay, what's the cause, or what are the causes?
1: Oh. <laughs> um, I
0: know we're limited in time, but we have, let's just get, get an overview of the causes.
1: Let, let, let me sort of broadly paint the picture and say the, the Federal Railway Administration breaks up causes into major categories, which include track-caused derailment, equipment-caused derailment, uh, human factors and operations-related derailments. Um, th- those are sort of the big three. Um, signal caused derailments, which is a very, very tiny category and, and a catch-all miscellaneous category. Now we can take, now we can take each of these categories, for example, track caused derailments, and we can subdivide them and the FRA subdivides them into rail and, uh, rail related derailments, um, track geometry related derailments, uh, roadbed related derailments, Switches and turnout related derailments, et cetera. And then we can take those, and let's say we take the rail cause derailments, and there are about 100 uh, or so um, subcategories of those, sub and subcategories of those, ranging from uh, detail fracture to a held, from the head to a broken base to a broken weld to a broken thermit weld to a broken plant weld. Uh, so you can see we can drill down, you know, in a, in a gory detail. But in, in the broad category, you're talking about track, equipment, and operations slash human factors are sort of the big three.
0: So operations, I'm thinking, might be traveling at a, at a higher speed than posted on a, on a section of track.
1: That is one of uh, uh, quite a large number of uh, subcategories of operating derailments, uh, Overspeed derailments, uh, we've done a significantly good job of, uh, of reducing in recent years by the introduction of positive train control. So those are not very common anymore, uh, but they, they do represent a category.
0: So w- what's the most common problem or the, the, what's the biggest problem of all these many categories as you see it today?
1: if we want to talk in terms of uh, now let, let's take a step back when when you talk about uh, about these about accidents or what's the worst cause of accidents are you looking at sort of raw numbers what's the largest number of accidents or what is the largest number of expensive accidents because those are not the same categories most you know the the, the largest category of accidents are operations human factors But most of those are low-cost switching accidents in yards. So we have a lot of what we'll call minor accidents, my fender benders, so to speak. Um, If you look at what are the larger causes of severe accidents, then you get into things like broken rail and broken wheel. Uh, Those are two very low, those are two significant categories of accidents that have large consequences when you, because when you break a wheel or when you break a rail uh, while you're operating a train and you're going at, usually that happens at high speeds or there's a lot of energy, and as a result, those are the half million to a million dollar derailments uh, that fall into those categories.
0: So as an outsider, I would characterize them as structural failures, either on, on the rolling stock or, or on the infrastructure.
1: Yes, except that you have another category, for example, which are the track geometry derailments, which are which are sort of equal in, 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 in intensity, so to speak, to the uh, broken rail derailments. And the track geometry derailments are not really a structural failure. They're what we will call a vehicle-track interaction fa- uh, d- uh, problem, where the geometry of the track starts degrading and the dynamics that it generates... Causes the train to derail. Uh, again, they, these are uh, these these are relatively rare occurrences, but they do represent a significant fact, a percentage of the major derailments.
0: So, would those kinds of derailments be kind of an inter- intersection of track geometry that isn't what it should be and speed?
1: Usually, it's a question of track geometry. They're almost always not, they're not over speed derailments in the sense that they're going over the speed limit. But what tends to happen is, yes, if you go too high a speed for the severity of the defect, that would cause a problem. And as a result, actually the safety standards and the maintenance standards, as they're written, they actually, the larger the, 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 the defect, the slower you have to go to safely negotiate it. So if you have a very high, if you have a high-speed railroad, say Amtrak in the Northeast Corridor, the allowable amount of geometry deviations are very small, as compared to say a line that's going 30 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour, where you can tolerate a much larger uh, deviation.
0: So, how do we? What do we know about those deviations? I and mean, how do we know it?
1: Uh, in other words, how do we set the standards, or how? Do
0: no, I mean, what, How do we know what the condition of the track is right now?
1: Oh, we re- we run very sophisticated uh, measurement cars all over the railroad. Uh, it, it, almost every major railroad in the world owns what we call a track geometry car or a track recording car which is a special purpose inspection vehicle that runs down the track and measures very, very accurately the geometric condition of the track.
0: And how often do the track geometry cars traverse any given section of track?
1: That will depend on a a number of factors, including speed, what's being carried. Uh, For example, Amtrak in the Northeast Corridor uh, inspects roughly once a month um, on on freight railroads that carry a lot of goods but very little passenger and no passenger, it may be two to four times a year. Okay. So every three to six months.
0: How often does that information get back to somebody that can do something about it, either, e- either a, a maintenance manager or perhaps even a train operator?
1: Almost instantaneously. Um the, the, the way, the way most track geometry car uh, systems are set up, they do real time analysis of the data and if the, if, if it passes one of the, one of the safety thresholds, usually there's a red or safety threshold and a yellow or a maintenance threshold yellow or maintenance threshold, and if a defect pops up and passes one of those thresholds, maintenance people are almost always uh, um, informed immediately. Uh, In some cases, in the railroads, on the freight railroads where they're running, say, every, every three to six months, you'll probably have a maintenance officer riding on the train over his territory, sitting there watching it. And he can, and very. It's not unusual for them even to have a maintenance crew on standby. So if they find something, they call back and say, "Hey, do fix it," because if they don't fix it, they have to slow the trains down. If a track geometry car finds a defect that's uh, that's that 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 exceeds the allowable lo- level of defect for the speeds, then it either has to be repaired immediately, or the trains have to be slowed down until it can be repaired. Uh, so there's an incentive for the railroads to stay on top of this very quickly.
0: So how how quickly, if they find a defect, for example, that might call for a re- reduction in speed, how, how can a reduction, how quickly can the reduction in speed be implemented?
1: Oh, that's instantaneous. That's that's nothing more than a call to the dispatcher saying we have a we we just found the problem at mile post seventy three point five, uh, and you have to slow all trains down to fifty miles an hour at which point the dispatcher notifies all trains that there's a 50-mile-an-hour slow order on that stretch until further notice.
0: So does that get fed into the um, PTC, the Positive Train Control System? Yes. Okay. So so it sounds like it's quick, very quick.
1: It's very quick. It's mm-hmm. designed to be quick.
0: Short of that, I mean, so it's there's an interval between inspections with the track geometry car. What does the train operator know about the condition of the track ahead of her or the train behind her?
1: Well, before we get to the train operator, there are a couple of other levels in
0: between. Uh,
1: The other level between is the walking track inspection. Uh, Track is inspected by foot uh, once or twice a week, again, depending on what's carried. uh, Track that carries passengers are inspected twice a week uh, tra- track that don't, don't carry passengers or hazardous, hazardous materials are uh, are inspected once a week. And so the inspector once a week will go down the track as well. And while he, he, he doesn't have the same accuracy of measurement, he does carry hand tools with him. So if he sees something that doesn't look right, he can pull out his hand tools and he can measure on the spot. And, and he has also the same capability of of, of calling a slow order in. Uh, so, um, for a operator, for a train operator to actually see and be able to detect the track geometry defect at speed is is quite difficult because we're talking about you know half inch, inch uh, type measurements. Or uh, let, so let let's say we're talking about a. Uh, uh, a one-inch deviation on a 62-foot court, so one-inch dip in 62 feet is very difficult. Uh, a train track inspector can see something, but he still has to measure it. Uh, a operator on a train going at 50 miles an hour would find it very difficult, unless it's something blatant, unless it's something like uh, the track is buckled or there's a major kink or there's something in the track, in which case that they they'll be able to see that.
0: They would see it, but probably not be able to stop in time. I would think.
1: Exactly, exactly. Which is why we don't rely on the operators to find the defect.
0: And and the, do the operators know any anything about the condition of the train behind them? That is the 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 what's going on in the cars and in in the trucks and the wheels and of the various components.
1: The way the current technology is set up the op the train driver or the train operator or the train engineer, depending which term you want to use, can be notified by wayside inspection stations as a problem. So you we- didn't want to talk about Palestine, but I'm going to pull Palestine. Okay, there's an example of 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 that because that's what it deals with. The Palestine accident was an overheated bearing um, uh, that caused an axle to fail. There are um on the track. There are detectors called hot bearing detectors that are designed to 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 measure the temperature of bearings as they go by, and they're spaced anywhere from ten to twenty five miles apart, uh, and depending on where they are on the railroad. Uh, when a train goes over a detector, and it, and it basically the bearing is just too too hot. The detector is designed to send a radio message to the operator of the train saying you have an overheated bearing on axle number 123 on the right-hand side, uh, in which case the operator has to stop the train, literally walk back 125 axles, check that axle, um, and he actually has, has has temperature crayons in the in the locomotive that he can use to check the temperature of the axle and determine if it's overheated or if it's actually overheated or not. So there the wayside detectors do have the ability of communicating that information uh, to the to the driver.
0: And that's a pretty reliable technology, I would think
1: it's it's a very reliable technology but 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 it's not it's not infallible. So my understanding, and I'm still waiting for the final NTSB report, but my, the preliminary NTSB report suggested that there may have been that, that the bearing may have detected that defect, but for some reason the, the, the message was not immediately conveyed to the train crew, and so. That, that's that, something happened there because the way it's supposed to work and the way it works 99.99% of the time is that information goes right to the train crew, crew literally over the radio, um, and they get that information. And
0: yeah, my understanding is that's actually a spoken message.
1: Yes. It is a radio message uh, on a uh, using either pre-recorded or machine uh, language that basically tells the uh, the, the, the train the, the the train driver exactly what's going on and gives them actually the axle number uh, and the side uh, that they detect the problem.
0: In terms of the long- term trends, are we doing better, worse or the same in uh, railroad derailments?
1: Uh, the long-term trends are definitely down. We, we, we continue to improve. Uh, if we look at a 10-year trend, a 20-year trend, a 30-year trend, and by the way, all this data is publicly available. You, all you literally have to do is go to the FRA's, the U.S. Department of Transportation and Federal Railway Administration's website and dig your way through the safety statistics. Um, and you can literally have access to the, to, to, uh, to the entire railroad safety database, including all this trend information. Uh, but the trend is definitely down.
0: And I'll uh, pitch a last question to you, and that is, so we, taught, we read in the news about major rail derailments uh, and the con- their consequences. How does the rail industry compare to uh, long-haul trucking in terms of uh, safety?
1: All the accident statistics say we're we're significantly better any way you want to slice it or dice it. Uh, in general, accidents and hazmat accidents, and in, in fact, the U the U S. Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, which goes by the, the catchy acronym of PHMSA. Um, they they actually monitor the frequency of hazardous material accidents, truck versus railroads. And I the last time I looked at the numbers, it was sort of like seven or ten to one uh, more truck uh, incidences than rail incidences.
0: Mm, okay. Alan Zaremski, you have educated us and educated me about rail derailments. I'm happy to have had the opportunity to talk with you, and I appreciate your spending the time with us. Thank you very much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. Be well. Thank you.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to The Infrastructure Show. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, please subscribe to our podcast and encourage your friends to join us, too. The infrastructure show is recorded at the Studio Media Recording Company in Evanston, Illinois, under the direction of Scott Steinman, recording engineer with a commitment to great sound. Our producer is Marion Sowers, a journalist with a passion for infrastructure. And I'm Professor Joseph Schoffer. Few people are more curious about infrastructure
1: than I.